Hey this is Sayyam Botani and you're listening to Chai Time Data Science a podcast for data science enthusiasts where i interview practitioners researchers and calculators about their journey experience and talk all things about data science hello and welcome to quarantine content with chai the cptds dot show in this episode i interview dr rachel tatman for the second time i've already interviewed her previously on my blog interview series uh, this interview is a continuation of the same rachel was earlier at kagel and we start the interview by talking about her work at kagel and her involvement with the community towards her journey and finally shifting gears into her role today which is a developer advocate at rasa we talk all about rasa her role and what exactly does a developer advocate me rachel also shares many interesting opinions on conversational ai her opinion of the state of conversational ai in 2020 and many great interesting uh, project ideas for any of you that's interested in building projects out using uh, rasa rasa is an open source framework or otherwise for anyone who's seeking ideas to build machine learning projects Rachel has been an inspiration for me as I'm sure for many others uh, we talk about her process of content creation and if you watched any of her streams we also discuss how does she manage to bring so much positivity and so much energy to all of her streams so please stay tuned for all of those secrets that we discuss in this episode and with that here's the conversation please enjoy the show Hi everyone I'm honored to be talking to one of my favorite content creators also a Kaggle grandmaster uh, Dr Rachel Tatman Rachel thank you so much for joining me for the second time on the series Thanks for having me it's good to be back So I want to rewind to my previous interview where uh, I had sort of asked you to write a blog post for me in a blog interview format uh, so I want to pick up right where we left uh, what's one thing you miss about working at Kaggle if if in Yeah um That's a good question. There's definitely a lot uh different about Raza and Kaggle. Um honestly probably the Kaggle community. Not that the Raza community isn't great, but it's a it's a slightly different uh mix of folks. So, um obviously Kaggle very machine learning focused. Um pretty much everybody who comes in like is working towards like learning more about machine learning and AI. Um and the Rasa community is a little bit more software engineer uh developer focused. Um so there's just, you know, there's some difference. It's nice to uh I don't know. It's just yeah, you know, I miss Kagglers. They're great. Okay. <laughs> We miss you as well uh, on behalf of the community. Uh, one uh, underrated aspect of Kaggle or the community if if uh, any comes to mind. Yeah, that's a good question. Um 
I am a big fan of the courses, actually. Um, I think that if you are on Kaggle, people tend to know about them. Nice. Um, but when people are just sort of like listing machine learning courses, everyone's like, you know, Coursera, um, <laughs> Udemy, and all the all the different ones. I feel like Kaggle doesn't usually come up. Um, yeah, and Alexis has done a great job. The uh, with the reinforcement learning one, I think, just came out. That is the headlight so one. Good. Yes. Yep, she's so good. I definitely agree. Uh, are you happy that uh, I, I think you were the first women uh, grandmaster in the kernels here? Uh, are you happy about that achievement, or were you? Did you see that coming already? Yeah, I. Hmm. I was actually thinking about that, and I was like, surely Small Robert Duck is a is a grandmaster, but actually, she, she's just a master. Uh, I actually had to look that up. Um. Yeah, it's interesting because I, a priori, I would guess that. Um, just based on sort of like the, the people in my social circle, uh, we would be more likely to see um, women who are grandmasters in kernels than competitions. Um, just because what I've, what I found is that a lot of my, my friends are really motivated by like sharing their work and, um, you know, cool analyses. And uh, that's, that's like a fun part of competitions, but it's not necessarily like what's going to get you the medal. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so just in terms of, um, you know, the, the content that, again, very small sample, my, my group of you know, colleagues uh, are, are motivated to share. Um, yeah, I don't know, I guess I, gender balance in ML and, and NLP is definitely something that I think a lot about, but I don't necessarily know that I have anything special about me that's like, ah, she was destined to become a grandmaster or anything. Does that uh, make sense? Uh I've I've been contributing to the problem. Now I'm aware of it. I'm trying to uh, fix it. This podcast just has unfortunately a ten percent representation. Uh, do you think Kaggle also sees this issue? Uh, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, yeah. No, it's something that I've thought um, a lot, quite about, quite a bit. Um, I think part of it might be the sort of the nature of Kaggle competitions, potentially, because um, there's, I don't know if you're familiar with the idea of like stereotype threat, I don't know if that's something you've, you've run across, uh, but basically mm -hmm. the idea is if you're in a minority group and you're doing something, um, if you do it badly, then it's going to reflect badly on you and also your group. So there's this idea that sort of people from minority groups stand in for the group as a whole, which is, you know, obviously unfair and, and not true, but there's that, you know, anxiety of like, oh, if I enter a competition and I do badly, that's going to be like, people are going to be like, oh, women can't do machine learning and not like, oh, Rachel whiffed it on this one. <laughs> she shouldn't have, you know, used that, uh, use that label vectorizer or whatever it is. Um, so, I don't know, that might be part of it. I, I don't think that there are easy answers, unfortunately. Mm. Yeah. So uh, now I want to come back to your journey. In, in the previous interview, you had you said that uh, throughout your your uh, experience, you encountered uh, slightly uncomfortable uh, transitions. For example, during your PhD, your grad school days, you mentioned you you stepped into coding you hadn't coded earlier. Then you stepped into industry from PhD. So uh, how does someone uh, navigate such uh, areas that are out of their comfort zone and keep keep uh, growing uh, and stay sane? Because the, the imposter syndrome always steps in. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, yeah, I think things that have been very helpful for me have been um, like having hobbies, basically, <laughs> like doing things outside of work. So um, and having something that you've done for a while that you're kind of good at. Um, 
So I find it really like comforting if like I've really struggled at work. I've, I've been struggling with Kubernetes lately. It's been a journey for me. Um, and then going and doing something that like, I know I'm going to be successful at and being like, okay, yeah, I used to be bad at this. Now I'm good at it. I'm bad at this now, but I will be good at it eventually. Um, and also just, you know, having, having context switch. Um, if you, you know, if you can exercise, I also help that that, that helps me a lot sort of like come into a different, different brain space, if you will, um, after being very frustrated. <laughs> so, okay. Um, you you also created this amazing content live streams. Uh, you you bring so much positivity. Uh, it's it's it, it comes through to to the audience. Uh, being a content creator, you you bound to get some negative feedback or different. Uh, there there are all sorts of uh, people on the internet. How, how, how do you deal with them? How do you not let it get to you? Because usually even one negative comment really affects yeah. at least me uh, most of the times. Yeah, definitely. Um, so a couple of things. One is that I um, sort of early on developed a pretty stringent moderation policy. So, um, and I, I don't know if this is still going on, but certainly while I was there, um, I had a strict policy that any comments about like personal appearance or like accent or anything that someone wouldn't be able to change about themselves would just be deleted because it's it's not relevant. It's not helpful. Um, and I think that that's uh, a good uh, first step is that if people are, you know, not interacting with you in a professional manner, just like get that comment out of there. You don't need to tolerate that. This is your platform. Yes. Um, and then another thing is like sometimes, you know, uh, feedback can be good and sometimes it's um, not well-intentioned and being able to sort of like look at something and be like, hmm, okay, this person says that, you know, I should use a different camera angle or something. And you're like, okay, yeah, I see how that could be helpful. Mm. Or this person says something, you know, just like factually wrong. <laughs> and you're like, okay, I can see where they're coming from, but also I, I'm not gonna change my behavior based on, on this particular person's feedback. Cause I don't think that they're, they don't have like the necessary background to, to you know, provide helpful. Uh, feedback. So yeah, also just kind of sucks. <laughs> um, you know, exercising again, I like I bring that up a lot. But uh, definitely in grad school, the thing that helped me a lot was coming up with like, consistent exercise that I liked to do. And it helps mm. you, you know, process the cortisol and reset everything and help your your parasympathetic nervous system be not screaming at you. So um, I realize it's like, seems sort of like tangential advice, but I promise it helps. You also bring so much energy uh, to your live streams. Many people don't realize that. So it's 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 easy for me, at least for these interviews, because I'm talking to a person. But you're just one person. You're broadcasting to so many people, mm -hmm. and you're talking to the chat. Many people don't realize how difficult that is. How do you do that? What's your secret? Uh, again, is is the secret to your energy the exercise? Do you drink some chai before before the live streams? What is it? Uh, yeah, no, I definitely drink coffee. Um, I, I don't, I don't oh. have time today. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, I know that I won't make uh... it to the final cut. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, caffeine helps. Um, yeah, it's a learned skill, I would say. Um, having multiple monitors is great. Uh, if you do have one monitor, don't show the whole monitor. Show parts of it and then have the, the chats off to the side so you can keep, uh, keep an eye on them. Um, yeah, I definitely used to be worse at it. And as I um, spent more time doing it and I watched other live streamers and noticed what they did that I liked or, or was like, mm, I probably wouldn't do it that way. Um, that was very helpful. And not, not even just like other coding live streamers. Like, um, you know, I like to watch people play uh, uh, 
simulation games, like, um, you know, and just like describe their thought process. And I'm like, oh, I see what they're doing. And now I've learned something. I'm like, okay, so I can use that sort of like strategy in my live streams as well. Did you like any games outside of that or in any favorite game uh, that you that you watch a lot on Twitch? <laughs> Uh, I watch a lot of Sims, uh, Simmers. I, I really enjoy The Sims. Um, I was really into Planet Zoo for a while, and then a lot of my sort of favorite Planet Zoo uh, streamers are sort of not streaming as much content anymore, but mm. there was a relatively recent patch, so that's good. Um, when Planet Coaster was big, I really like watching Planet Coaster people. Um, so, yeah. City builders also. I really like. Um, I really like watching people play Foundation, which is uh, it's a city builder, but you don't build the streets. You sort of like do zoning, and then it's sort of like very organic, where the the streets appear and they're very like not straight. Um, mm. And I really, I really enjoy that. So if you like city builders, it's a fun city builder. Okay. But I, I don't think it's it's normally possible for anyone to bring so much energy to to a live stream. So <laughs> I, I think that's 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 a see that's a secret just just to you. Oh. Now, Many years of customer service. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, I missed another topic because uh, mm -hmm. my previous interviews was just just a Google Doc that would go to the hero of of the interview. But I want to pick up uh, about uh, a question about your PhD, mm -hmm. which I think connects well to what you're doing today. Uh, mm -hmm. Can you share a bit about your research focuses and uh, what did you learn about uh, what did you learn during your time uh, in research in academia? Yeah. Definitely. Um, so I was uh, sort of, I wouldn't say scattered, but I had a lot of research interests when I was when I was in research. And my main area was computational sociolinguistics. So um, sociolinguistics, particularly variation of sociolinguistics, is looking at patterns of language use and uh, so both perception and production and how those pattern with and reflect social realities. Um, so things like um, race or ethnicity or gender or regional origins, like you might sound Southern if you're from the Southern US. And then uh, the computational aspect of that is both using uh, variation of sociolinguistic and other sociolinguistic research to inform NLP research and also to take NLP methods and uh, use them to ask questions about how people use language and how it relates to their social identity. And a big part of my, uh, my work, there's sort of two main things. So one was looking at text and treating text as sociolinguistic data and saying, yes, we can do this, because um, historically it had really been mostly on speech. Um, and Dong Nguyen, uh, who was at the Turing Institute and I think is now at the University of Utrecht, Utrecht? <laughs> I might be saying that wrong. Um, her dissertation is on that specific thing as well. Um, and basically, people do in text what they do in speech. Um, a lot of the same sort of uh, forms and pattern of language are reflected, but not all of them, and which ones are picked up and which ones aren't is, um, uh, is very interesting. Uh, and then the other main thing that I looked at was um, in the area of uh, fairness, accountability, and transparency. So in particular, I looked at automatic speech recognition systems and their ability to handle language variation between different groups of speakers. Um, so the, the paper that got picked up everywhere was showing gender difference. Um, mm. And when I repeated that experiment, so the gender difference paper, I used uh, user-produced audio, so just things that people had, had shared. Um, and when I repeated the experiment with high-quality audio that had been recorded in a professional 
traditional recording studio, those differences disappeared. So I think that that's more of a signal processing than a machine learning problem. But differences between uh, Caucasian speakers, white speakers in the US and African American speakers uh, were still there and were actually, um, you know, robust and robust across systems. So um, in general, um, speech by black speakers was just recognized with more errors, um, which is, you know, a, a problem if you're trying to, to use ASR as, as a crucial, crucial part of a system. Um, yeah, so that was sort of my, my two big research interests in, uh, in graduate school. Okay, so was it just detection or uh, were you also trying to apply different uh, techniques to it? Uh, was ML involved at that time? Yeah, so my, um, I was in a linguistics department and not a computer science department. So I also had a large behavioral experiment component. Um, and what I found with the behavioral experiments was if you give humans incorrect social information for a dialect that they're not familiar with, um, they will rely very heavily on that social information when they don't have like a robust auditory model of what a dialect sounds like. Um, and I found that when you include, again, explicit social characteristics in uh, machine learning models that they have the um, specifically conditional inference trees um, that they were used for classifications, uh, particularly when you had less uh, robust acoustic data to go for. Um, I don't actually think that that's a very good approach to ASR and adjusting biases in ASR because it requires that you at some point build a classifier to classify people like say as black, which is not something that you should do for um, a number of reasons. Yeah. Uh, do, do you think this, this also sort of leads into the biases that we see in the data sets uh, negative mostly? Yeah, um, so I wasn't looking at text as much, but yeah, I think it's absolutely related that, um, you know, you have um, groups that have historically been marginalized, that there are systemic biases against. Um, and as a result of that, if you try to learn from history, if you try to you know, learn from data as we do in machine learning, uh, that data will uh, reflect those biases forwards. So also thinking about, kind of, do you remember the thing where um, Amazon had their recruiting experiment where they were trying to like identify yes. the the things and then the thing that they said that was like, oh, this is the best feature is, were you on a men's lacrosse team in college? <laughs> like that's what's gonna make you a good software engineer. Maybe it's not actually, <laughs> maybe mm. that's a latent variable to something else that uh, pertains to your hiring practices possibly. Totally. So uh, this is another question that I've been chasing. I know there's, there's no mm -hmm. right answer to it. Uh, what does an ML engineer do? What does, what does a researcher do? Uh, mm -hmm. What you're doing today, I think, and what you were doing at Kagger, isn't that uh, similar to what you were doing at research? Isn't research about bringing new papers, reading new papers, bringing those ideas, trying to implement them, trying to talk about them? Uh, what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, there's definitely similarities. Um, so I am a developer advocate, if you're not familiar. Um, and a big part of my job is education and sort of synthesizing information and um, also being part of a community. And I think uh, people who haven't been in been in research and had that be sort of like the main thing that they do day to day don't usually realize this, but a large part of research is being part of a community. Like a large part of a, a PhD is, okay, this is what you're working on. You need to read 
everything that everyone else has written on it and like understand their their arguments and the ways that their thinking has changed over time, the way that those scholars interact with each other and sort of build this this web of knowledge and you're like okay in this there's my question here's the people who my work relates to um, and this is sort of like where my contribution fits in this um, this social network that also um, obviously has has other components it's not just a social network um, I know that's why you, you love researched. going through the citation graphs most of the time mm-hmm. yeah absolutely um, yeah so definitely uh, a lot of uh, relevant things that I did my PhD I would Can... not say get a PhD if you want to be a developer advocate <laughs> that's not a good tough path you've written a blog post as well on it I'll have it in the show notes um, so what, what what is a developer advocate? Can, can can you give your definition of it? Because uh, there, there would be many, I'm sure. Uh, what, what are you doing today uh, as a developer advocate? Yeah, so sort of the traditional definition of a developer advocate is um, for a product, a software product that is developer focusing, you stand in between the community of users and the the developers who are creating the product um, as a as a peer, basically on on both sides of the equation. Um, and on Kaggle, that really meant like interacting with the community, making product recommendations, um, you know, helping educate users about you know, different parts of machine learning and, and helping them become better, you know, machine learning engineers and data scientists. Um, on Rasa, uh, because we have a we're an open source project, and um, the uh, you know the the engineering team and the research team are, are much more. Um, interact with the community much more than they did at Kaggle. Um, I think that my, like, I don't have to be quite as much like the person standing in between and passing things back and forth. Um, and I can really focus more on developer education. Um, and particularly, um, I've been focusing on uh, sort of sort of two main groups of, of users, which is uh, people that have like a data science background, but not so much the software engineering background. And then software engineers who are maybe less familiar with NLP and less familiar with machine learning and language specific things. Um, so I'm sort of creating content for those those two main groups in in parallel. Got it. So uh, am I saying it right, Rasa? Rasa, yeah. Okay. What is Rasa and what does a day in your life <laughs> on uh, non-pandemic days look like? I, I still working remotely. I, I, if I remember correctly, you were working from Seattle. I am. I am in Seattle. Uh, I do work remotely, and Rasa is actually a remote-first company. So um, my life before and after, my work life before and after the <laughs> pandemic has been pretty much exactly the same, which is nice. Um, yeah. So Rasa is uh, a startup, and we have an open-source framework for building conversational assistants or chatbots, if you prefer. Um, and we also have free software that is uh, for continuing the development process. So once you've built your prototype using um, the open source framework. You continue to use the open source framework and then it's just a nice interface to let you um, do interactive training. So take in conversations as they come in, annotate them, identify errors, you know, add intents. Um, you can have multiple annotators working on the same project, serving it to users. Um, and then if you're a business and you want to do that, you can talk to us and we, we can help you out with some, some additional goodies. Um, and that's what Raza does. I, I went to the it's download download it uh, check it out mm-hmm. uh, i was expecting some pricing because i saw the words a16z series b and i realized uh, most of the developer options are for free can can you tell us about the vision and uh, what's the business model uh, mostly 
Yeah, definitely. So um, Raza open source is open source. Um, the business model is uh, that sort of like extra tier. So if you're an enterprise customer and um, let's say you want to have multiple people that can authenticate to adjust your bot, that's um, a feature in the enterprise version of, of Raza X. Um, so that's what that's what people pay for. But yeah, if you just want to build a chat bot for fun, feel free. And it is free. <laughs> What do you think of of the state of conversational AI, broadly speaking, in twenty twenty? Do do you personally use Siri, Google Assistant, Alexa during your day day to day? Yeah, um, mostly Google Assistant because I don't own any Amazon products. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, I do, and it's something that I've used uh, more and more as time goes by. And also, I. I've sort of come around on on chatbots. I mean, kind of obviously, I work for a chatbot company now. <laughs> um, but uh, when, like, the first couple times I tried to use a chatbot, it was very frustrating. Um, like, my intents weren't correctly recognized. Like, I couldn't do what I needed to do. It was just faster to use an interface. And we're getting to the point now where, um, you know, many different systems, not just Rasa, <laughs> uh, it's genuinely usable, right? Our, our ability to sort of handle user, noisy user-generated text has gotten much, much better over time, um, particularly with transformer-based models. Um, I will I will say, just like from a technical standpoint, I, I wouldn't put BERT in a chatbot. Um, we, at Raza, we've had a lot of success with uh, Convert, which is a transformer-based model that's uh, trained on response selection. So rather than sort of trying to predict all of English, it's trying to identify the correct next turn in a conversation. So it's much smaller and faster. Um, but transformer-based models have definitely made chatbots a lot more viable. Um, and also, um, I actually did adult literacy tutoring for, for quite a while. And part of that, that course was also computer literacy. Um, and I realized that there's, there's a lot of people out there who are just not comfortable even using a mouse, um, mm. let alone you know, navigating a website, you know, going through multiple forms, trying to figure out what the specific thing you need is. Um, and a conversational interface is, um, I genuinely believe, a more accessible way of completing routine tasks. So um, I, uh, you know, I'm not going to say that you should use them for everything. There's definitely things where I would like, yeah, no, please let me click a button. <laughs> I want to click a button right now. That's all I want. Um, but for, uh, you know, a large number of people out there in the world, it's a really good alternative, especially if data is limited, right? Not everyone yeah. has like, you know, not everyone can stream, uh, and doing things via text with like three or four turns could be way, way, way cheaper than like loading the JavaScript site. And, oh, there's so many widgets, and it's like enormous. <laughs> and there's your bill for the month, um, which I am, you know, very you know, sensitive about. Where does Raza come into the picture? Uh, are you trying to build a universal chatbot or domain-specific one? Which ones do you empower? Yeah. So um, I would say we don't. So it's a it's an open source project. We are sort of the uh, what what is it? Alex says the the infrastructure layer. Mm-hmm. Um, so well, what's your expectation of how how this should be used? Let's put it like that. Yeah. Um, so in general, I would say sort of like a really good project for Raza is you have um, a specific task that people want to accomplish. Um, they may have like other questions along the way. They may get like sidetracked in their conversation. Um, and you need to have the flexibility to handle sort of different types of, of ways of interacting with the, the conversational UI. Um, I would say for a general purpose chit chat bot where you want to use natural language generation, you can use Raza for that um, if you want to. I 
I would say just like personally, I don't love like the the Mina Blender sort of style of, of chatbots. I think there's just so much potential for them to go off the rails and become abusive. Um, yes. and I, do you remember Tay? Uh, no, sorry, I don't. Oh, okay. So Tay was this Microsoft project that was supposed to be like a chatbot that would learn as you interacted with it. And they, they launched from the internet on Twitter and within like 12 hours, she was just virulently racist and abusive because uh, um, like users had been interacting with her in like a malicious way, shall we say. Um, so that sort of like completely unsupervised uh, chatbot, I think, could be interesting as an art project when you have very limited uh, the ability to really like limit the output. Um, but I would say Raza chatbots, Raza is a good platform to use if you want to get stuff done, right? If it's, I gotta, I gotta get this done by Friday because my boss is asking for it. <laughs> Just as a general, you know. Lingering on to that, uh, I remember some research had come around uh, mm -hmm. on how you can probe BERT to, to make it a racist uh, language model and just, just mm -hmm. make it very abusive in terms of what, mm -hmm. what text it generates. Yeah, the Universal Triggers paper. Yes, um, I think about that a lot. Uh, yeah, and I know there's also some more, more recent work on GPT-3 as well, which they are releasing as an API. Um, and they found pretty much the, the same vulnerability that you can very easily prime it to say, um, you know, offensive incorrect things um mm. yeah in in theory can you hypothetically create a chatbot for an annoying girlfriend or boyfriend uh, that, that that might expect super fast replies under a second and gets upset otherwise asking for a friend directly. yeah um i would say you shouldn't <laughs> so one of our <laughs> uh one of our sort of like core ideas uh raza with regards to like building ethical chatbots is you you shouldn't um mislead people about whether or not they're talking to a bot. So when you initialize an assistant with Raza, um, it will come with an intent. Hey, am I talking to a, a, you know, a virtual assistant or a chatbot? Yes, I'm a chatbot powered by Raza. Um, also, just in general, if you're having sort of, uh, you know, miscommunications about expectations around uh, talking to each other, I, I think, you know, <laughs> not communicating clearly is not going to make the problem better. So, so talk to the person. That's my okay. advice. Do, uh, do, do you think it's it's a better approach to give the person an option if they if they'd like to just just stay with the automated replies chatbot or uh, if they, like they can have an option to switch to talking to a human or otherwise I, I remember I was I was talking to Netflix support because my password mm -hmm. got hacked it's it's pretty common with Netflix mm -hmm. and I was trying to drop SQL queries just to make sure that I am not <laughs> talking to conversationally yeah definitely um so the the sort of like human handoff is definitely something that you would want to you would want to think about. Um, and also, it sounds like you weren't able to complete the task that you wanted to complete using your the virtual assistant, right? So it was a person. The, the person got it. It was a person. Right. Okay. <laughs> um, can you help us uh, define how hard uh, this problem is to maybe maybe help us appreciate more? Um, with machine learning, everyone just goes, oh, you throw more data, you can solve it. Uh, hmm. What can go wrong or goes wrong uh, and how can that be solved with time? Uh, or is it, it it's being solved right now with co uh, conversation data? Yeah. So, I mean, I think the, honestly, the, the easiest way to, to really go wrong is to try to do just like a really enormous end-to-end -end transformer model. Like, again, personal opinion. Um, 
you have you know unpredictability, uh, particularly if you're doing text generation. Um, you may have an assistant say something that is just like straight up not true. Like uh, someone could be like, hey, could I get a refund? And um, you know, GPT-3, which is trade non-common call, uh, like has been primed by all these sites. So like, oh yes, we offer you know a three-year refund, <laughs> twice your money back, <laughs> and then you're on the line for that. Um, so I would say natural language generation absolutely not solved. Um, I would I would use templates for that if you if you really want to to generate answers. Um, in terms of just can people have sort of good conversations, I would say your first iteration of an assistant is probably not going to cover all of the things that it could do, and it shouldn't. Um, so sort of the the old school way, if you will, which a lot of people are still using, so I shouldn't say it's, it's obsolete or anything, is to create like a, a tree of all the possible ways that a conversation can go. Um, and the problem with that approach is A, it just takes a while and it's tedious, um, and it's not super flexible, but B, people are really unpredictable. And once your assistant is in production and people start talking with it, you're gonna see like lots of things you didn't necessarily expect to see. So I would say um, CICD uh, for chatbots and um, really going through and, and looking at your data and re-annotating and retraining. Um, with that, you can get to a very usable, uh, a very usable assistant. And we've had lots of um, you know, really great use cases with, with Raza, so uh, yeah. I, I wouldn't, again, I wouldn't do like full unsupervised language generation. I think that that needs like work, <laughs> like a lot, lots of work to actually be um, something I'd be comfortable putting in front of another human. Uh, but just can you, you know, complete a task through a conversation? Yeah, we're there. Totally. Uh, you, you'd also alluded to another problem, which is uh, switching mm. contexts. Uh, I think this mm. was in the Weights and Biases uh, Gradient Descent podcast. You, you'd mentioned as humans, we tend to switch context a lot, and this mm -hmm. is where uh, things might break. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, there is, uh, that's actually one of the things that the, if you, if you didn't know this, Raza also has a research team of people who are working on, you know, researching these problems and, and developing new, new frameworks and architectures. Um, and this is one of the things that I think Raza does particularly well. So we use uh, transform. Well, there's you can use different different policies for selecting the next turn, uh, but the one that we recommend right now is a transformer-based policy that um, can can handle those sort of topic switching and digressions very well. Um, so obviously, the benefit of transformers is that you can do long-distance agreements, um, and if you're looking over, you know, the whole conversation or the last thirty turns, um, you can you know detect the most relevant previous turn uh, and then sort of pick that thread back up, which is one of the really, really nice thing about transformers that you wouldn't necessarily be able to do with sort of a state machine based model. You'd have to have, you know, a tree like, okay, here's where they digress. Oh, and then there's another one where they digress here. And there's another one where they digress here, which is just like, who wants to do that? Um, so yeah, I'd say that that is a, a problem that uh, transformers are very well suited to. Since, since it's an open source platform, I also want to ask you many people, uh, many students uh, or enthusiasts otherwise are seeking projects. Do you think there, there are any low hanging fruits that people who just, just build interesting projects around just, just using Raza right out of the box? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so if you're asking specifically if people can make contributions, we actually have um, a contributor board on the, the GitHub repo that has you know list of things that we're looking for um, and sort of like to help you get started with making open source contributions, which uh, if you're a student looking for a job, having like um, contribution to merge to an active open source project shows that, oh, you understand sort of like software engineering principles and your code looked professional and it happens. So that's, um, that can be very helpful for job searching. Um, 
Specific assistance. So the the sort of the dumbest possible <laughs> assistant that we use for initialization is we ask you if you're sad, and if you say you're sad, we show you a picture of a tiger, or we give you a link to a picture <laughs> of a tiger. Um, so other particular things that I think are would be really cool projects. I'd love to see more different languages and examples of, of assistance in different languages. Um, there's, you know, we're, again, open source. Um, you can use any sort of NLP processing pipeline that you are uh, you want to, um, which means that we're, we're a lot more, a lot less more. We're more language agnostic than a lot of frameworks, um, thankfully, which is actually one of the things I asked for, about when I was uh, interviewing at Roz. I was like, it's not just English only, is it? That's so good. <laughs> um, and also, I think a good way to sort of identify a, a good project for a chatbot is, is there something that you do routinely uh, that you, uh, particularly for voice, you might want to do with voice that would be easier? Um, so uh, an assistant that I've sort of been working on on and off kind of very uh, lackadaisically, <laughs> I've just been busy, I will finish it someday, um, is a voice assistant to uh, book fitness classes. I keep mentioning exercising, obviously not very relevant right now, but one day it will be. Um, so for me to be able to like, okay, look at my calendar, I've got space there, okay, what classes are available then, okay, book me that one. Um, and that sort of thing, sort of, sort of something that I do on my computer with graphical interfaces, and there's a bunch of different APIs um, for, for all of those different things that I could use and combine together and make it a very fast, um, a fast conversation because I only really need one or two pieces of information at each step, if that makes sense. So that's I'd say that's a good way to to identify something that would make a good assistant. So maybe like checking timetables for trains. Um, if you do Pomodoro, maybe like a little timed assistant. So the thing with like there's a timer and like every twenty yes. minutes you take a break and say what you did. Um, I think that would be a great application for an assistant. Um, it was something to remind you to call your mom <laughs> or something or like you would like talk to and then it would text your mom um if if any of you have have moms that uh like to get texts um yeah so lots of different uh different good use cases i'd like to drop a uh, self self promotion plug uh, i've been obsessed with the name chaibot so uh, mm. i I've, I've made all of these uh, all of the data around this podcast public uh, starts transcripts otherwise if someone could just use that and create a website where anyone can go for advices because that's what this podcast is about i just want myself to be automated <laughs> yeah no i think that would be great especially because this is already in a conversational format uh so i think you'd be able to to pretty easily be like okay here's where like the, all the different questions here's the ones that tend to be repeated and you could use those as intents and and then you know move on from there so yeah since i'm myself too lazy someone of the audience hopefully <laughs> will pick it up and make something out of that yeah, that sounds great. So uh, in my final question, I usually <laughs> seek broad advice from my heroes. Uh, can you share your best advice for someone who's, let's say, on Kaggle? Uh, how should they utilize their time best to learn uh, using the platform? Or, or otherwise, as well, uh, just, just for ML broadly speaking. Yeah, I think actually my advice for, for both of them is the same. I would say... Um, Find something that you genuinely enjoy doing and feel motivated by. And it'll it'll be out there, right? It's like the same it's the same advice people get when they start working out. It's like 
some sort of workout is going to appeal to you and you're going to want to come back to it and do it again and you're going to be able to sustain yourself with. Um, same thing in, in machine learning. Find a project that like you're genuinely interested in. Find a topic that you genuinely like. So maybe if you like animals, you look at ecology data. Maybe if you like food, you look at recipe data. Um, something where you have internal motivation to continue working on the problem because I think the biggest challenge for people who want to get into ML is like having that um, that drive and sustain and especially if you I know a lot of people are studying like after school or after work having something that you genuinely look forward to and feels like a treat means that you're actually going to keep doing it um, as opposed to sort of like feeling like punishment <laughs> so that's my that's my advice awesome uh, before we end the interview what would be what would be the best platforms to connect with you I'll have all of these in the show notes for anyone that wants to uh, connect with you yeah, uh, probably the best is Twitter. Um, I am R-C-T-A-T-M-A-N. Um, and then if you have questions about Raza specifically, I'd say the Raza forums. Um, so that's sort of our, our main place for, for answering technical questions. Um, and those are, those are probably the two best ones. I'd also say your Twitch channel, I think you, oh, yeah. you started the live streams again. <laughs> I, I'm so stupid, I missed them. Uh, I, I was like, I, I'm really missing Rachel's uh, live streams. Then I realized you're still doing them on, on another oh. channel. R-C-T-A-T-M-A-N, the same thing. Everywhere. I try to get it everywhere. <laughs> I try. Okay. Rachel, thank you so much for uh, all of your past contributions to CAG community and your contributions to the open source community, community today. And thank you for joining me on the podcast. Ah, thank you. It was lovely to be here. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to give it a review or feel free to shoot me a message. You can find all of the social media links in the description. If you like the show, please subscribe and tune in each week to Chai Time Data Science.